we live in an area that, that, or a time where there seems to be a lot of fear and anxiety around us. Um, people are afraid to say what's on their mind. Uh, people, uh, you know, dealing with this virus thing and, and, and all the stuff that's going on in our world, it seems kind of scary to people or at least causes anxiety. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is how we as Christians are supposed to respond. Rational fear is when there's a real imminent threat. Somebody's branding, brandishing a knife, somebody's pointing a gun. Um, on a less extreme note, losing a child in a crowded venue can bring on some real fear. I was dragging six children around a swap meet that's, that was probably twice the size of the one we see down on the highway one Saturday. And all of a sudden, my daughter Andrea was missing. We promised to buy her. This thing is not made for my ear. That's all there is to it. Let me try this again. My daughter Andrea was missing. And so we started frantically to find her. And all of a sudden over the PA system, there's this voice saying, uh, little Andrea here says her father is lost. So please come and get her. And the relief just flooded over me. You know? Primal fear is that innate fear that, that uh, is programmed into our brains, so to speak. There are fears like arachnophobia. Everybody know what that is? It's a, there's a movie about that, Fear of Spiders. And there's opidia diop phobia, which is, Mike, fear of snakes. <laughs> How many people have that fear? Yes. I love snakes. I used to play with them all the time when I was a kid. There are irrational fears, fears that can vary greatly from person to person, fears like uh, epibiphobia. That's a fear of teenagers. <laughs> it's got a name. And then try this one. 35 letters. 35 letters in this word. And I got to break it up just so I can say it. Hippopotamostro sesquipedaliophobia. That's what it sounds like. How about fear of long words? <laughs> you know, come on. But the fears we're talking about today are the fears that come about when we kind of not see Jesus in the middle of our situation. 
And this idea of fear includes all its varieties, anxiety, dread, fright, horror, panic, scare, terror, trepidation. And this fear slash anxiety thing seems to be prominent in our society today in this country. My aunt is 96 years old. Awesome lady, lives in Texas, sharper than a tack. Her brain is still sharp. And she says the fear and anxiety we feel today, in her opinion, is as much as it was during World War II just after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. So we live with this in the back of our minds all the time. Something there. Where did fear originate? Anybody know? The Garden of Eden. Come on, Ian, how big is your ear? Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful suggestion. Thank you, Elaine. You are smart. Now, if my glasses will stay on, it'll be awesome. Yes, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Sin and fear entered the picture at the same time. Both caused by our enemy, Satan. Before that, there was no fear. Before that, everything was peace and wonderful things going on. So what is fear? Miriam says, an unpleasant and often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Anxious concern, and I was surprised to see this included in it, profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. So what does fear do to people? Not the third one. Third one's awesome. We want to hang on to that one. The first two studies at Stanford University over a 20-year 20, 20 period tell us that, number one, fear affects our physical health. Fear weakens our immune system, can cause cardiovascular damage, gastrointestinal problems such as ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome, and decreased fertility. It can lead to accelerated aging and even premature death. Fear also affects our memory. Fear can impair formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain, such as the hippocampus. And um, I didn't write in my notes what all that does, but it does a lot. So uh, you might look that up sometime or talk to Elaine. Or, um, this can make it even more difficult to regulate fear and can leave a person anxious most of the time. To someone in chronic fear, the world looks scary and their memories confirm 
confirm that, especially with children and the elderly. Since we're all kids here, we need to be aware of that as we grow up, right? Brain processing and reactivity. Fear can interrupt processes in our brains that allow us uh, to regulate emotions, read nonverbal clues and other information presented to us, uh, reflect before acting or think before acting, and act ethically. This impacts our, our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive reactions. All of these effects can leave us unable to act appropriately. People get scared and they do weird things. Mental health. Other consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, clinical depression, and PSTD. I think that's supposed to be PTSD. Mentioned in that same study, because we're pounded by these fear things all the time, is the fact that in the 1960s, both the CIA and the KGB conducted experiments using fear to make people think differently, in other words, brainwashing. After just two months of bombarding the test groups with fear messages about a subject, when told the truth, they would not accept the truth, but hung on to the fear messages for 20 or more years. You get about a page and a half out of that. According to Psychology Today, stress, anxiety, and fear have been steadily rising since they first started surveying on a national level in 1997. And we have to realize that fear and fear-mongering is real. Politicians always seem to give us the, the worst-case scenario, the worst thing that can happen. Uh, we're going to cut your Social Security if you don't comply. They never worry about cutting welfare or other benefits. It's always Social Security to affect a group of, of voters. And then realize the, the events of the last 20 years that fear has just spread. Anybody remember Y2K? Oh, yeah. 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 Then there was 9-11. We had the anthrax scare, the West Nile virus. In 2003, it was SARS. We had the bird flu scare. The financial crash of 2008, the swine flu. How about the Mayan calendar called for the end of the earth? Everybody freaked out about that one. Ebola, ISIS, coronavirus, and more, and the list is too long. These things that we're bombarded with. In the last year and a half, we've seen the most significant jumps in this level of anxiety. We know coronavirus has affected people. We have a huge political divide growing in our country. Rising crime, debt, record inflation, lack of tolerance for those who think differently. Riots and division between people groups. 
And all these things contribute to that level, level of fear. And what, we're not going to sit here and say, well, I'm scared. But deep down inside, we hear it and it bothers us. And we carry it with us. I remember in the 1960s, my Uncle Don having a calm conversation with his neighbor about somebody running for president. He was a Kennedy man, my Uncle Don. Neighbor must have been a Nixon guy or something, I don't know. But they calmly talked. Now that doesn't happen. It's a little unnerving. And I don't want to step on any toes here, but we got those who believe the COVID vaccine is the best thing since sliced bread. And those who say, I'm not touching that thing. I'm not going to get jabbed for nothing. That too is causing a divide in our country and causing fear. And news shows on TV are full of fearful things. Rarely do they have positive news. Has anybody ever seen the good news show? Anybody? No. No. They dwell on the negative. And in fact, they know that according to the Nielsen ratings, fearful situations drive up ratings. So are we as a nation addicted to fear? Do we have to see the latest fear thing going on? I hope that's not my phone. But the thing is this, fear is rampant, and we as Christians, lovers of God, are not to be fearful people. We're not to have those fears. And it's heartbreaking. My five-year-old grandson, and I'll get emotional, asking his daddy if he's going to die if he doesn't wear a mask. My aunt's afraid to go outside. And one of the saddest things is that as fear and anxiety have, have risen, so has suicide rates, especially among teenagers. Since 2007, suicides in the 14 to 20 age group have risen 60%, mainly due to fear factors. Various ones. I'm going to get bullied. I have no hope in the future. I want to tell you this. As children of God, of children of the creator of the universe, we do not need to be afraid. Think about that. We don't need to be afraid. How then are we as Christians to react to these rising levels of fear? You know, consider that the words, the specific words, the specific phrase, do not be afraid, is quoted more than 70 times in the Bible. 70 times. And variations of that phrase occur some 
four times the 70. I wish I could say 70 times seven and sound like Jesus, but, you know, four times as much. That we are not to be afraid. The words courageous, courage or courageous occur some 30 times in the Bible. Have courage. Consider Joshua chapter 1. Israel lives in a dilemma of Moses' past. And the new leader, a man named Joshua, is preparing to take over for Moses. Now, anytime you have a political power change, people get anxious, right? Anytime. These people know they're facing obstacles. They're going to go into battle. They don't know where their food's coming from, although God fed a man of, you know, all that time. They don't know where their, this is a land of milk and honey and everything's supposed to grow and all that. So is God going to provide victory in the battles? Will he provide water to drink, food to eat, safety and security as he promised? Question, has God ever broken a promise, a covenant, his word? No. Not once. Not once. Joshua 1.3 uh, 1, starts out, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Joshua 1.6 starts off with be strong and courageous. Don't let this stuff get you down. Be strong and courageous. Joshua 1.7, only be strong and very courageous. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened. And it continues, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, we got to remember that. My wife says, every time I leave the house in my truck, not if I'm walking, but in my truck, be careful. I didn't know I was that bad of a driver. Joshua 1.18, only be strong and courageous. Yet in the world around us, Christians face unprecedented persecution. It's unprecedented. With recent events in Afghanistan, Christians are being murdered in large groups just for being Christians. Jim Robinette, a missionary friend of mine, uh, also a journalist for one of the missionary groups, was recently told by an Afghan, we will hide while we can, but we will face death knowing we will be with him. Wow. How many of us could say that? How many of us would be willing to stand up in that manner? North Korea is the worst for Christian persecution with torture and death as a result of being found out to be a, a Christian or even considering 
when President Trump walked across that line, if he'd have dropped a Bible out of his pocket, he would have been eligible for immediate death by the North Koreans. That's how bad it is there. Followed by Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Libya, Pakistan, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. And there was one more in that list, but I couldn't pronounce it. So I left it out. So where does the USA fit in all that? Would you believe we're currently on the bottom of the list for Christian persecution? Bottom of the list. 184 countries in the world, and we're right there at the bottom. Still, with all the fear and anxiety that's going around, we get afraid. We get anxious. And it was interesting. What are Christians in the USA most afraid of? Now, remember, in Afghan, not afraid to die. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. It's being shamed. That's number one. I'm afraid of being shamed. People making fun of you for voicing your belief in God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Mark 8, 38 says this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Are you ashamed for being a Christian? Will you proudly proclaim that you're a Christian to anybody who asks? And to people who don't ask, you know? Number two on that list is looking foolish. Seems to be a determining factor for many. I just don't want to seem foolish. I am not a pastor. Like what, you need the education of a pastor to talk to people? What seminary did Peter, James, and John go to? Best one in the world, I assure you, you know, right there with Christ. But everything that we need to know is written down. Looking foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are, all, that are mighty and the base things of this world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And what does all that mean? That means no matter what your station in life, no matter who you are, who you think you are, you're not going to look foolish. God uses idiots like me to deal with people in a godly way. 
Ambiguity is number three. This is described as not having an answer. I don't know the answer to your problem. Sorry. And the fact is, we may not have an answer. But I know for me, if I don't have the exact answer when I'm talking to somebody, I just usually pray and keep jabbering my mouth. You know why? God will bring that answer somewhere. He will. Remember that 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need. There may not be, God, I need, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Do I pay the rent or the car payment first kind of thing? But the principle is there. The thing you should do is there. In that case, you should call the car company, tell them you're going to be late and pay the rent. But just throwing it out there. <laughs> or the house payment. Why are we afraid of not having answers to the questions people ask? Because we don't know the Bible well enough. We don't get into it. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Wow. Wow. who correctly handles the word of truth. And then there's opposition. People might not like me very much. Wow, that's number four. Jesus promised opposition to those of us who talk about him. Jesus promised we're going to have those kinds of trials in life. It means you're on the receiving end of hostility based on your relation to Christ, this fear of opposition. But I'll tell you what, Christ is glorified. Christ is glorified in how you respond. Matthew 10, 18 through 20. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Have you ever thought about that? God's going to put the words in your mouth. Thank God, because I don't want to, my words would be worthless. Philippians 1.28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. People are going to oppose you. Get used to it. It's nothing to be afraid of. And
And then that other little one, that one that gets us pain. I'm afraid someone's going to hit me. Pain's inevitable in our lives. Ask me, I've had major surgery 22 times. Can you believe that? And I'm still alive in spite of the doctors. No offense to anybody in the medical field. First Peter 4, 5, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There's special rewards if you suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, I don't know what they are, but in my mind, that cabin in the woods, if I suffer, is going to get moved a little bit closer to the river, and my fly rod reach is going to be a little bit longer. I don't know. I don't want to make fun of that. But the fact of the matter is, there will be rewards for those who suffer for Christ. And I'm sure that none of us here have ever actually had to suffer for Christ. Doesn't mean I want you to go into a biker bar and start, start preaching Jesus Christ, okay? You don't want to intentionally bring pain upon yourself. But if God calls you to do it, do it. Because you'll have an eternal reward as opposed to having to deal with some pain. And isn't that what's most important to us? Is that eternal reward? Our strength in all this is not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And Ephesians chapter 6 says it best, where in Ephesians 6.10 it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in, the, and in his mighty power. So how do we get strong in the Lord? Well, Paul goes on in this, and I'm sure we've all read it before. But I just want to take you through it a little bit. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Those schemes are lies, fear, and manipulation. Stand firm then with the breastplate buckled around your waist. I'm sorry, the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, I got to get up to demonstrate this a little bit, so bear with me as I get my bearings here. Roman soldiers on duty were required to have certain equipment with them all the time. The belt of truth for a Roman soldier, and Paul was very, very familiar with Roman soldiers. I mean, he spent a lot of time chained to them. So I'm sure they had time to talk and discuss 
And Paul's saying, well, what about that belt you wear? What is, what is that all about? And the Roman soldier, bored as he can be, because all he's got to do is stand there chained to this guy, is talking. And so the belt of truth buckled around your waist, as Paul calls it. They had a belt they wore. They wore a tunic, a dress, so to speak. I don't want to, you know, but basically shoulders and cloth and all the way down to the knees about. And that belt served as for several things. One is it served as a tool holder. You know, like if you were in the military, remember that belt that had the canteen, the ammo pouches and all that? Same kind of thing. Carried a little, you know, like a, a, cudgel, like a cudgel, they call it, to hit people over the head with. It carried food for the day. But in battle, what they would do, it was they would take that tunic and tuck it up in that belt so it didn't interfere with their running. That was the purpose of that belt. It was an all-purpose thing. The truth of God is an all-purpose thing, isn't it? The words of God are all-purpose for us. That's what we stand with. And with the breastplate of righteousness, that's where we fail so much is in the righteousness area, isn't it? We sin. We are sinners. But we're sinners saved by grace. The breastplate was usually made out of metal, sometimes out of leather, but usually made out of metal. And it just covered from their shoulder across their body to protect their organs. And any time they were on duty, they wore that. It was part of their uniform, so to speak. It protected the basic parts of them. Righteousness protects us, our basic parts, from anything that comes against us. If you're standing right with God and you're living a righteous life, what can you be blamed for? Being a Christian? That's it. My stepdad was something else. Claimed he was a righteous man. He was a, a deacon in the church we went to. And he was also the town drunk. He believed in God, believed in Jesus Christ. And as a little kid, I would get to sit down to the bar to drag him out of there and say, come on, Pops, it's time to go home. And I'd often catch him telling people about Jesus Christ. In a bar, drunk out of his gourd. Did people believe him? Not so much. Why? Because he wasn't standing in righteousness. Do you see that difference? We need to stand in righteousness to live in obedience and communion with Jesus Christ. 
and a lack of holiness in our lives leaves us vulnerable. That's one of those long words that I can't, I'm afraid of. Um, to the enemy and his schemes. Ephesians 6.15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, Roman soldiers wore sandals or maybe something kind of a boot-like. But every one of them had nails driven into the soles. And if your foot misses your toes, those nails were pointed backwards a little bit. They didn't stick out very far, but they were there. Anybody lived in snow country where you have studded tires? You know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. They were designed to give the soldiers a grip to keep moving forward. It was harder to go backwards and to keep moving forward. God wants us to keep moving forward. Pressing on, so to speak. That gospel of peace should keep us moving forward. We are right in what we believe in. That gospel says we're not to start trouble. But if we have God on our side, we can certainly deal with it through him, can't we? We're not to be afraid. Once you warrior put your everyday gear on and the call to battle came, there are a few other things that you picked up. Take up the shield of faith with what you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How do we shield ourselves with faith? Read the Bible. Increase your faith. Truly believe. This shield was made out of thick leather. Is about four and a half feet tall, about two and a half feet wide. Thick leather, wooden framework, little bars going across it out of wood every once in a while. And they were soaked in water before battle. They know a battle is coming, they're going to soak it in water. Why? Because the enemy likes to shoot those fiery arrows at you. And that shield would protect you from that fire. Anybody ever had a rumor going around about them that really was messed up? I have. Anybody ever had a lie being told about them? Mike has. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. Pa I'm so Pastor's not here. I have to choose somebody, so... Mike volunteered. No, he didn't. Fiery darts. Rumors, fits of anger, 
lies, all those things, your faith can get you through it. Your faith will get you home, so to speak. And the lies and the evil that goes around about God's people are caused by Satan, by the evil one. I pastored a church up in uh, June Lake. Small little town, 614 people in the uh, wintertime, 5,000 in the summertime. And there are all kinds of, in a small town, gossip is like the culture. Everybody wants to gossip about everybody else. And I, I got in it. Flame, flaming arrows of the evil one. We have to trust in God's word and promise that it's above all, it's absolutely necessary to protect us, our faith. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Head was the most important thing to protect at this point. They had that breastplate, they had their shield, but you got to protect the head. Otherwise you would die. And their helmets were various configurations and probably not as glamorous looking as they are in the movies. You know, gold and ornate and, and you know, like a bucket on the head, but at least they were something. Satan seeks to destroy a believer's assurance of salvation with his weapons of doubt. Think of that. Discouragement. But we're his kids. We can say, Abba, Father, because we belong to him. We know where we stand because of salvation. And if I die, it's going to be whatever. Now, my wife doesn't think that. I've had to promise that she can go first and I'll follow. That's, you know. But we're going to a better place if we die. Far better than what we've ever experienced here. And the sword of the spirit, imagine that, which is the word of God. Man, do you read your Bibles? Do you look at them every day? I got this great little app on my phone and I just hit the little buttons in the right sequence and I can listen to scripture being read. 
Whatever scripture I choose, I can do it all day long if I want. I don't do it all day long. My mind gets to going in too many different directions and I have to slow down. But we need to study our Bibles. We need to really understand what it's saying. And that's the sword of the Spirit. It was the soldier's only weapon. The Word of God is our only major weapon. And then probably the most important, Ephesians 6.18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Also on my phone is a contact list. It has about 200 people on it. If you're in the church directory, you're on it, just to let you know. And I pray. And then we have prayers of the people here when we pray. We get in tough situations, we pray. We see a friend dying of some disease, we pray. All kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, frankly, I don't know every Christian in Afghanistan. In fact, I don't know any. But I pray for them. And since I found out about North Korea being the worst, I pray for them. I sit out in my backyard most evenings. It's after the sun goes down, we're about ready for bed, and I'll go out there. My wife and I will talk a little bit. And she goes in because the bugs are flying around or whatever, and bugs don't bother me all that much. And I'll sit there and pray. We need to have a regular prayer life. If we want to not be afraid, we need to bring our petitions before God. And that's what this is all about not being afraid in this world where it seems like there's so much going on. We started off at the beginning of this message with all the fear things that are going on around us. But we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to fear. When all that's done, when we put on our armor of God, well, we understand there's rewards for us for doing the right thing here on earth. And we don't care if people are upset at us, whether they, they want to shame us, whether they want to do this, they want to do that, because we're Christians and we stand strong for Jesus Christ. 
all that fear can go away. When we love the Lord, we don't care what people's political backgrounds are. God's our leader. When we love the Lord, we don't care what color people's skin is. I read an article the other day about people arguing about what color of skin Jesus had. Because we see across the board pictures of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Right? We've all seen him. In my Sunday school when I was a kid, picture a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. I was kind of proud. <laughs> and people get upset because there's a black Jesus somewhere. We don't know what color of skin he had, and it doesn't matter. And it also doesn't matter the color of anybody else's skin. What matters is they're children of God. Or potential children of God. Period. When we can get past all the garbage that's out there and all the fear-mongering that's out there and we can settle in our hearts who we are in Jesus Christ, amazing things can happen. We'll be strong. We won't be afraid. Colossians 16.3 says this, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. And then Jesus, he said this in John 14.27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. Amen?